I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm Effie Parks. Summer is coming to an end, sadly. But you know what that means? The Global Gene Summit is approaching September 13th and 14th in San Diego, California. It's going to be so great. And if you're a rare disease family, you gotta go. I'm also working on getting Ashton Kutcher there too, so stay tuned. Head over to globalgenes.org to see the agenda and register. I hope to see you there. August is SMA Awareness Month, and I have a great episode for you. Today, I'm talking with a sibling. You met her dad, Albert Friedman, way back on episode 90. He's a rare dad to Jack, who had SMA type 1, and he's also a psychologist. And in that episode, we talked about the mental health and chronic stress of a caregiver. So definitely go back and listen to that one if you haven't. Today, I'm talking with his daughter, and we're chatting about all things in the sibling realm and the sibling experience. She's a truth teller, and she is quite a force. I know you're going to learn a lot from her. Please welcome Kara Friedman. Hello, Kara. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Effie. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I've been looking forward to talking to you. I've obviously had many conversations with your dad, Al Friedman, about your family and about your brother, Jack. So I'm really excited to get to meet you. Yeah, looking forward to this wonderful conversation today. For anyone who doesn't remember Al Friedman and our story, can you give us a little introduction of yourself and the family that you grew up in? Yeah, so my name is Kara. Um, I'm 22. I just graduated from a teeny tiny liberal arts college in Pennsylvania where I grew up. I went to her sinus college for anyone who wants to know. I got my degree in biochemistry and molecular biology, and I grew up in Westchester, which is where my dad, Al Friedman, currently lives. My dad's a psychologist, and he works with lots of families and individuals, and haven't seen him much since I've moved to West Hartford recently, um, and I live with my mom. And I had an older brother, Jack. He passed in October, and um, which is why I have moved. But he had a spinal muscular atrophy. He had type 1, so it was pretty severe for our purposes here. But he was wonderful. He always had a smile on his face, and never it seemed like a care in the world. So I'm trying to keep... Keep on with that. I'm so sorry about the loss of Jack. I attended the Zoom service that you had not too long ago, and it was just like this whole mixture of like, oh my gosh, I love seeing how many people just have all of these special stories and like so many people just got up and said the most amazing things. It was it was really special to watch how much your family was loved and appreciated in your community. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. I didn't expect that many people to 
stand up there and say something about him, but I knew his impact was pretty big. I'm sure my dad has bragged before that he'd had over like 2,000 Facebook friends, something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, so I guess I shouldn't have been so surprised to see that many people there, but nonetheless I was, and I was very grateful for everyone who did stand up. So that was a good day. Yeah. Well, I know for me and so many of the parents listening, something that's on our minds just as much, if not more, I think, in some cases, uh, as a caregiver, as a parent to a child with a rare disorder, is the siblings. I have a three-year-old daughter named Ezzy to her, to her brother Ford, and every day I'm constantly like, how do I not screw this up as much as I possibly could. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think too, like we as parents don't necessarily in the beginning even understand that the role of the caregiver is also kind of the life that the sibling is leading and that you're going through all of these stages alongside us. And maybe sometimes it's not very well taken care of. There aren't a lot of studies on the impact to siblings. And I just hope that there's more siblings like you who are brave enough and open enough to talk about this perspective of yours. So thanks for being open to it. I really appreciate it. Of course. Glad to start the conversation, hopefully for some. <laughs> well, a, a couple of weeks ago, I made this graphic of like how you can help caregivers. I didn't expect it to go as viral as it did, but I think that having the language that's actionable is so important and it takes a lot of burden off. And somebody was like, Effie, you should totally make one of these for the siblings. And I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. And I emailed a few of them, including you, and you sent me just such a powerful list back that I wanted to kind of have that conversation in person with you rather than just put it on a little graphic for everyone, which I'll do both. But I want to talk about it in, in person, too, here on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. So, man, I mean, it's been a long time. You were Jack's sister for, for a really long time. So why don't you just tell me now, retrospectively looking back, how do you think you were doing when you were younger? I think before I went to school, I was kind of talking to both of my parents about this a little bit, but before I went to school, I think everything was just fine. I don't think I realized there was really anything wrong with anything in our family. Like I assumed that every family had, you know, a Jack, someone who had physical disabilities and was just a little more complicated than others. And I just kind of assumed that, you know, that was a normal for everyone. And looking back on that, I wish I was still that naive. But I think going into school, a lot of things changed. I had a girl come over for a play date, I want to say in first grade. And obviously in first grade, you haven't seen a lot of things, but she saw my brother and she absolutely froze. And from then on, I kind of realized that something was, you know, just a little different comparative to everyone else. And I think looking back on that was when I realized like something's definitely not right. And it made me feel very different and kind of wrong in a way at that time. I kind of just isolated myself after that for a little bit. And from then on, it got, I want to say, a little worse, partially because I am adopted too. And my school was primarily white folk. So it was just bullying about my brother and then me not being their skin color and things like that. So looking back, I think I handled things the best I could have in that time. But I think if 22-year-old me was standing there in elementary school, I would have been like, okay, it's time to do something and stand up for yourself and stand up for what you believe in. But obviously that's a little hard to know, especially morally when you're that young. 
So yeah, I think I did everything right that I could have. And I have no regrets about that. I know I <laughs> treated him like a regular older brother. I don't think I ever gave him the benefit of the doubt ever. He would tease me and I would ignore him for days on end. And he would run me over with his wheelchair and I would also ignore him for days on end or I'd cry. But I think that's pretty typical for a regular sibling. And obviously that's not the same for every sibling pair you'll ever meet. But yeah, looking back, I did the best I could. And I think that's all that matters. Mm, I love that that's kind of how you feel about it. I can only imagine how much trauma is kind of engulfed in that. And like you said, you were adopted and you were from another country and you have a different skin color. And maybe that was supposed to be the thing that was going to like help you find your identity or, you know, be part of your growing process. But it was almost more intertwined with who Jack was and what kind of family you came from. That's definitely true. I know you were only in first grade and that memory is seared in your brain. Would you say that you kind of felt unprepared for the fact that you were like the only one who had a brother like yours? Did you not see kids like Jack out and about? Was it just so normalized in your home in all the good ways that you didn't necessarily know how to react to your friends when they didn't know how to react? Like, did you not have any language that maybe you wished you would have had? So that's a very good question. I think I got more curious as time went on, but I think going into a public school like I did, having that language definitely would have been beneficial. I think I got more curious towards the end of elementary school when I started saying like, oh, what does this stand for? But if I had known kind of earlier on, like, yes, he is different, but he's still human, that, that probably maybe would have resolved some of the confusion in my head, but I doubt it would have done much. I think I was just so young and paying attention to my friends at, I went to a little Quaker friends school before public school. And I think they just promoted like uh, an aura of positivity and kindness that I don't think I ever would have realized people would be so cruel, I guess, when it came to elementary school and so on and so forth. But I've, I definitely saw people like Jack out and about in the, quote, wilderness, if you will. But I don't think I ever thought anything of it. I just thought that was just how it was, like I was kind of saying. So I know your dad's a therapist. Did he put you in therapy when you were a kid to kind of help you through your adolescence? He did not. He did not. He pushed me pretty hard for a while there, but I was pretty resistant and I thought it would make me less cool than I already was. Um <laughs> But I have recently picked it up. I think it started in 2020. So it's okay to get help. <laughs> yep. And it's never it's never too late. And it's always the right time whenever it is. Yes. For sure. Did you feel growing up that obviously there was a lot of attention on Jack, even just like moment to moment, right? Like he had a trach, all of the appointments, blah, 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 blah. But aside from that sort of like active gr daily grind stuff, did you feel that the attention was kind of evenly distributed between the two of you? Did you feel like you were your own separate person growing up or did you feel invisible? I want to say I tried to make myself pretty invisible, especially in school and especially when other people came around, but I don't think I was ever invisible. Like people always asked about me. And I think the attention between us in the beginning when I was more willing to be around him when before school started, I think the attention was pretty good then. But 
I think I personally detached myself um, from that whole kind of realm of Jack. So I became my own person, um, which is, I think, what my dad would say, too, if he were sitting here. Jack got a lot of attention, and I tried to be a part of it. I got to be friends with some of his nurses, and I still text some of them to this day. But yeah, I think it's hard to have an identity outside of your brothers or your sisters or your siblings, especially when they have a rare disorder, rare disease, because people will always just kind of refer to you as, oh, your ex's sister or ex's brother. And you're kind of just labeled with that and you're never able to get a chance to detach from it unless you do it yourself, which is kind of what I felt like I had to do at some points. And so I kind of just hid that part of my life away for a while and hoped that no one would ever figure it out. I think the attention that my parents did give me was satisfactory for what they could do. And it was hard because they got divorced when I was pretty young, but they made it work and they had a schedule and it sort of worked out in the end, but it's hard to, you know, assume that you can get more attention than what you already have. I remember helping out with like Jack's bedtime routine just to get a little more attention from someone at the end of the day. But that was that's that's my biggest memory of all that. Oof, that last point about getting uh, doing the bedtime routine to get a little more attention. Do you think that sure you were kind of being dismissed in a way and not on purpose and not with any malice, but you kind of you said you folded into that identity. Were you also trying to just not make anyone more worried than they were? Were you trying to just make as much peace and be as quiet as possible? to like lessen everyone's stress level? Definitely was doing that. I remember kind of caving myself into my bedroom for a while and just kind of like hoping for peace and quiet. I would like turn up my headphones as loud as possible, but it, it was it, it was just hard. I was definitely doing that. Had a lot of big feelings as I like to call them now back then that I don't think I was very willing to share or very vulnerable enough to share or open-minded to share. I also don't think I realized I knew that I was feeling any of those things. I kind of just dismissed it as anger or like frustration towards having a brother who required so much more than I did. And so to create the peace, I would just kind of huddle myself in my room and I would come out for, I want to say like dinner, and then I would go straight back to my side of the house. So it was, it was just kind of minding my business and trying to not get in trouble, tried to do the best I could to be more good than bad, get myself into good things rather than not. Just probably why I took on so many sports as a kid. Tried to get out of the house more than staying there. But yeah, I, I did my best to not create more issue than there had to be in that chaotic household. Man. And this was before you even like ha were of age of like the rite of passage, young female te going into the teens. You were kind of retreating off to your side of the house even before that. Oh, yeah. I want to say fourth grade onward was uh, fourth grade was definitely the starting point. And then it just went kind of downhill from there. But once people were more accepting in high school, it definitely turned the corner a bit. Ugh. What were some of the things that people would say to you or ways they would treat you differently that you despised and maybe perhaps even contributed to your isolation? Uh, I remember distinctly there was one time where I was begging 
begging, begging my mom or dad to separately pick me up from a middle school mixer. Unfortunately, they could not do that. And we have this had this Chevy car that was converted into a big van so I could fit Jack's wheelchair and his head in there. And uh, I was standing outside and all of a sudden I saw this tan van and every single head turned and they went, what is that stupid looking car over there? And I was like, oh my God, I have to get into that car now. Um, so I sulked and sprinted away at the same time, if you can possibly do that, into that car. <laughs> um, and I said, please drive as fast as you can. And I just shrunk away into the car. So that was definitely one of the highlights of the down points when I think of uh, Jack and such, but that, that was definitely one of the bigger ones. I'd say people definitely didn't say to my face if they ever had, you know, comments about my brother, because why I guess they were smart enough to not do that. But I definitely heard things that were like, oh, her brother's a little weird. He looks a little weird. And I would kind of just be like, okay, that's that's just how it's going to be, I guess. But here we are now. Oof, Kara. Man, especially when you're young, like those moments with your peers are like life altering. <laughs> they really are. It's funny. I'm literally in the middle of buying a van and we'll probably have it within the next few days. And I'm like, <laughs> note to self, pick Ezzy up in a Maserati that I borrow from my neighbor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, you mentioned a little bit ago about this nurse that you talked to or confided in and that you still text today. I'd love to know a little bit more about her or he and when that sort of relationship started and what difference it made in your life. I connected with a lot of my brother's nurses. I knew a lot of them when I was younger, but one stuck with us for majority of the time. I think she had to leave because he was no longer, my brother was no longer a pediatric case, but her name is Stacy. Wonderful, wonderful woman. She stuck with us through a lot of things. Um, even when she didn't have to, I bought her a Phillies mini baseball bat at a baseball game with my dad once, and I gave it to her so she could faux bonk my brother in the head when he was being evil. And she titled it in Sharpie the Jack Bonker. So that was one of my favorite memories of her, but she has stuck through it all. She gave me a lot of good advice and she was always there for me. She would be the only person I would come out on a Tuesday night for just to sit in the kitchen and I'd be willing to sit in the kitchen with my brother and my dad and say hi to Stacy just because Stacy was there. But she was definitely an influential person in my life. It was very sad leaving her back in Pennsylvania. She's still there. I think she got a new job recently, but she's doing great things for other people. And that's all you can thank, thank her for. Stacy, oh my gosh, the Jack Bunker, are you kidding me? <laughs> I love, too, that she didn't correct you and she didn't dismiss you and say, oh, don't say mean things about Jack or don't do that to Jack, you know, and she let you have it and she wrote on a, on it with a Sharpie. I love that she gave that that to you, that validation to you and just became like a girlfriend in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. She was she was one of the good ones. One of the good ones, for sure. <laughs> what are some things that you remember vividly that helped you the most and like what made you feel normal growing up if if normal is the word we can use <laughs> oh oh boy 15 year old me I wrote this in the email to you but 15 year old me would go you need some noise canceling headphones and just leave me alone and do not talk about my brother to me but I think looking back ways that I felt normal I would meet people 
I would never tell them straight up, oh, my older brother has, you know, a rare disorder. And I would just let them get to know me first. And then once I became more comfortable with them, I remember saying to a bunch of my friends at college, oh yeah, my brother has this. And they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. And that'll be it. And so that that's kind of how I gained that power back and made myself feel more normal going into a new environment. But in the dark ages, I like to call them through K through 12, I think I was just kind of spending time by myself. And I think that time by myself really allowed me to learn who I was. And very quickly, I learned that I didn't need anyone else, which can also come to bite you in the back. But I discovered that I just needed myself. And um, at the end of the day, that's all you really need to know who you are. So my independence and my patience and my empathy have since come from all of the chaos, if you will, and made me feel a little more normal then. But I think at this point in my life, I'm more than fine saying my brother had a rare disorder and people are kind of just like, oh, okay. Um, I think we're at a point where people are pretty non-judgmental as I've met them at least. Um, so very lucky in that regard and to be working at an organization that does that too. So that's definitely helpful. Yeah. When you were angry and all of those like dark, <laughs> dark ages <laughs> times emotions, did you feel safe being upset and mad? And did you feel like you were doing anything wrong when you were mad? Or did you really feel like when I allow myself to be like this, I actually do make space for me to dig deep and kind of find myself and find my independence? Because I don't think most people can separate those two things, even into adulthood. And it sounds like you were kind of using that time wisely on top of going through all of all of the all of the emotions involved. Yeah, I utilized my time as best as I could for my tiny little brain and kind of just figuring out who I was kind of helped there. I don't think my anger was ever coming from a place of, oh, I really dislike my brother. I think it was just a frustration that there was no one else who really saw me. There was no one else that was kind of, you know, like our family in the area. And sure, I went to majority of the Cure SMA conferences growing up, but I think that anger, it, it, it's complicated, I guess. But I, I think in the end, I knew it was towards external forces rather than, you know, internally in the family and such when, well, even though sometimes it was, but and I don't want to say all the time, but. Sure. And how could it not be? I mean, this is hard. And it's not it's not the lifestyle anyone knows how to navigate naturally. And most have no experience whatsoever with the enormity of it. Really? Can we talk about your boundaries a little bit? You mentioned headphones, which are also one of mine. And you said, don't talk to me about Jack. Talk to me about something else. What were some of your other boundaries that you put in place or that you realized that you needed for, for your own mental health? I feel like I had a lot of boundaries. That's amazing. I didn't set boundaries until I had Ford. <laughs> Good job, Kara. <laughs> I don't think I realized I had said boundaries, if you will, but I, I, looking back on them, they're definitely boundaries. It's not that I didn't like my brother. I just couldn't stand the very loud noises and his voice echoing through the house all the time. So I would only get food from the kitchen when he wasn't there, just to get some peace and quiet and know that I could you know, finally feed myself. And that, that was 
I think that was the biggest one that I did set for myself because it's it's okay to want to get away from, you know, everything that's actually happening in your home. But I I tried very hard to separate myself from all of the chaos um, at all times. And I would leave the, I want to say like medical talk for when it was necessary. And I never wanted to hear about it otherwise, unless I was honestly curious about it. I remember my dad trying to tell me something and I was like, nope, not right now. Gotta go. But that was, that was pretty common, I think. But yeah, I, I did my best to, you know, remind myself that it was okay to not fit into every sibling mold that you find out there and to just, you know, feel how I need to feel. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the boundaries, there's definitely more that I can't think of, but they're, they're definitely there, even if you don't think they're boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, check headphones. Got as you saw them like two weeks ago. They're little <laughs> cat ones. They light up. Word makes the same sounds, probably similar to Jack. So I understand the stress of that 100%. Did people do things for you, like take you out, make you feel special? Did you like it when they did that? Um, did you like getting your own separate time or your own separate activities? I don't recall anyone ever taking me out just to get me out of the house. I'd call myself a pretty big homebody, and I had five-day-a-week friends at school, and no one really ever wanted to hang out on the weekends. Did you ever just want your own space and your own stuff? And did you want, you know, like Auntie, you know, Gina to be like, hey, guess what? Every Sunday, you and I are going to the movies. Like, do you think that would have helped you or made you feel good? Or do you feel like that would have just been another thing that kind of made you feel separate and that you needed this support that you didn't necessarily want because it was coming from the reason of being Jack's sister? Oh, I would have hated that. Oh, I would have so hated that. But not to say that someone else out there would have loved it. I would have hated it so much. I already felt so different. And if someone else was coming in and saying, yeah, we're going to go and do something just because I knew their motive in a way was to, you know, make me feel normal again. Oh, I would despise that. I would absolutely (laughs) hate it. There is no way. Yeah, no, nope, 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 nope. (laughs) I love that. You said something a minute ago about the sibling mold. What do you mean by that exactly? And when did you realize that you had power in not being the same type of sibling as everyone else? I consider the sibling mold every sibling pair you've ever seen that's pretty, you know, normal or kind of thinking that there's a way that it has to be. Um, You see in the movies where like there's, you know, some disabled sister or brother or something and the sibling is like all gushy over them and they think they're the greatest thing ever. And um, that's just that's just not always the truth. I don't think there is exactly a mold either that you can fit into. Every pair is different. And I don't think for a while I wanted to be like the picture perfect sibling for my brother and looked good kind of supporting him or whatever. And that slowly disappeared when I realized that, you know, a lot of different siblings look and act very differently towards each other. It it kind of occurred to me also in college when there was another girl who had a brother with a physical disability and she loved him so much and would post about him all the time. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to do that. So I don't fit into that mold. And 
slowly realized there's a lot of ways that it looks like to be a sibling, and that that wasn't mine. So there's no mold to fit into, if you will, but I will always call it the sibling mold because people think that it's there. Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. I think there are going to be lots of siblings who hear this and feel very feel very seen. And it also made me think of how you mentioned earlier that you didn't just like, hi, I'm Kara. I have a brother with SMA. <laughs> and I identify with that even as a caregiver. Like, you know, I'm out at the park and I only have Ezzy and, you know, some mom will be yammering on to me about whatever. And I don't tell them that I have forward at home, even when they're like talking to me about how worried they are about their kid's speech because they're not talking as much as Ezzy and I still don't offer it. You know, like, I think that's a boundary too, right? Like you get to decide when you open up to someone and why you're opening up to someone and if you even have the bandwidth to do it in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great boundary checking in with yourself on whether or not you feel like sharing anything. Yeah. 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 What do you think as an adult? If you're comfortable answering, what do you think of the aftermath and the prolonged effects of the type of childhood and having a brother like Jack has left on you now? Are there things that you notice throughout your day that you're like, oh, whoa, that kind of scares me? And for good questions to, or for good reasons, too, like, are there things where you're like, man, I'm just so good at this because I know how to deal with it or I know how to cope with it or I know how to talk about this? Yeah, for the good things, I've noticed myself shutting every single cabinet behind me and wanting everything to have its place. Jack was pretty picky about the cabinets being closed and things having their own place. And if they were kind of wrong or the cabinet was open, it was all wrong. And so I've kind of picked that up into my own habits. Starting in college, my room was pretty much spotless all the time. My mom would love to not. <laughs> My mom would have loved to see that at home, but I never did it at home. But I think I've picked up recently a lot of kind of cleaning, <laughs> kind of nitpicky habits that I don't think I would have had had it been for Jack being so OCD about the cabinets. I remember one time opening all the cabinets when he really made me angry and that made me angry. So um, that was a good moment for me, a win for me. But I think I've gained a lot of patience um, for myself and other people, but I realized that patience comes only so, so thin, which is, it doesn't seem like it works, but in my head it does. I allow to give myself patience to other people, but if, if they kind of just ruin it, you know, right off the bat, then it's kind of worn off for me at that point. And I think that's okay. And I've learned a lot of empathy caring for other people um, all the time. <laughs> There's a joke on the internet right now where you say you're an empath and that's true, but I find myself to be an empath and I feel a lot of what other people feel partially because I could never feel what Jack felt. So I've always wanted to get into other people's shoes and kind of really understand who they are because it's not fair when people don't understand who you are and immediately make judgments about it. But above all else, I've learned a lot about respect and honesty too and it sounds like i'm just preaching about morals here but it's been a lot of kind of searching for those morals and making sure they're still in place and jack has kind of shown me all that and it's okay to be loud and carefree and live your life just how you want to live it so yeah baby <laughs> oh, that made me smile so much i love that yes she's tidy she's patient she's empathetic and obviously full of integrity. I love that. Those are things I don't think 
that you could have the depth of understanding unless you came from a family like this. I really, truly believe that. I don't know if you want to answer the other side of that question, and you don't have to if you don't want to. If there are things that are like trauma activators for you now, or if you have high anxiety now, or if there are things that you worry about too much because you used to worry so much, or anything like that that you notice that has carried into your adult life of how it still impacts you. I think to this day, I still care way too much about what others think about me, courtesy Jack Friedman for always having someone to always care about what others, uh, well, I always cared about what I thought about me because of Jack and what he was doing. And especially on the internet, sometimes it was <laughs> a little funny to watch, but I, I care way too much about what other people think about me. And I try to not let that happen, but alas, here we are. Also in the age of social media, that does not help either. But I definitely care way too much about what others think. And I wish I wouldn't. And I think I have, you know, come to terms that a lot of the deep, dark feelings I had when Jack was alive were okay to be feeling. You know, I, I saw a therapist starting in 2020 and she gave me the diagnoses for anxiety and depression. And, you know, I don't, I don't exactly correlate those to my brother, but they were definitely a cause. And I think that's, that's okay. And it's okay to, you know, have to feel that way in a way. But I don't know if there's anything that necessarily triggers me besides someone in a handicapped spot when they're you know <laughs> not supposed to be there but um otherwise i everyone okay. yes yes oh yes. yeah oh yeah oh my gosh carrie you crack me up and if it helps at all like i swear once you turn 30 you get so much better at not gafing you know so like <laughs> at least look forward to that if you haven't already done all the work ahead of time like the older you get the easier it is to not care about what people think. Um, so, I mean, that could happen later. So there you go. Did you find that connecting with other siblings like you helped? Did you have the opportunity to do that? Is there still a giant gaping hole that you wish was different? I'm going to be honest here. I was the worst at wanting to connect with other siblings. There was a CureSMA conference one year where <laughs> I volunteered myself to go and be in the siblings talk it out sessions and I did not want any bit of it so from then on I kind of just uh, let it go so in theory I'm sure I know a lot of people with you know siblings who had siblings with gear SMA you know but I never put myself out there to make that a top priority for myself looking back at it I don't regret that there's definitely still that huge gaping hole between things I could definitely know and ways I could have coped better um, looking back. But um, yeah, I, I never made an effort to actively seek another sibling unless it kind of just naturally fell into my hands. I don't think I could have dealt with any more crazy chaos or anything that didn't feel as normal as it could have, I suppose. You were going through a lot. <laughs> and it's not really for everyone, you know, connection on that level. But who knows? You know, like we all change and maybe it's not then and now and maybe it's in the future and maybe not ever. It's it's different for everyone how how we cope <laughs> and what yeah, what we really need to help us keep keep moving forward. I'm interested also because I feel like every sibling I've ever spoken to 
has went on to be in some form of a compassionate career. Even someone like you, who was like trying to get as far away from it as possible in a way. But here you are working for the beautiful organization Nord. Can you talk a little bit about how, how you went in that direction and what you do for them? I came out of college as a biochemistry major, got my degree in biochemistry, um, I applied for a lot of biochemistry jobs, and I had a couple interviews, and I said to my mom, oh, I have an interview, and I wouldn't sound too happy about it. And then I saw this opportunity at Nord, and I told her about it, and I, I was just a completely different person when I was talking about this job. It sounded a lot more <laughs> hands-on and people-oriented than staring at a lab um, with a lot of equipment and things like that for hours on end. So I now work for the National Organization for Rare Disorders. I'm on the research team, so I'm helping out with the registries that hopefully help out some organizations with their drug and therapy pipelines. So that's the hope, and that's, that's why, why I kind of start off every introduction with, oh, my brother has spinal muscular atrophy. And so people seem to be more sympathetic and empathetic to that, especially because I work you know, at a place that's pretty much geared towards what this was. And yeah, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to be working with everyone. Everyone's great. Um, not just saying that because they are probably listening, but because I actually like them a lot. So I'm looking forward to working with them for hopefully as long as I can. Yes, I love that so much. Well, Nord is so lucky to have you. And quite frankly, so are the rest of us in the rare disease community. If you go and getting a biochemistry degree and all of that, I look forward to following your career, Kara, and I think you're awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Just one last question or thought to that you could share if you could. What are some signs or things that you'd like the adults in the world to keep out for the siblings? Or would you just like to leave a piece, a nugget, a shiny little nugget for the caregivers out there listening who have siblings in their family? I would say alone time is great time spent but too much of it is too much. And I think that can be said for any kid ever, but I kind of figured there was a good mix between sitting alone and kind of engaging myself in the house. So there has to be that balance, I would say. And yeah, um, and always, I would say for the caregivers, it's always okay to communicate whatever people are curious about. And it's okay to allow that sibling to not want to listen to that communication. It's just as challenging for, I want to say, every. well, it's challenging for everyone, but it's just as challenging for a sibling who doesn't really understand anything that's kind of going on until they're old enough to realize that. So being willing to communicate with them is probably the greatest gift you could give them. And trying not to hide anything. I'm not saying that my parents ever did, but I'm sure they've hidden a bunch from me in the past. But allowing for that open communication and less hiding will probably prevent a lot less chaos and hurt than it has to. That's probably what I can send off to you caregivers out there. And siblings, just just don't don't feel like you have to be a certain way. There's no way that you have to be. And for everyone else out there, please don't coddle us just because we have someone who's a little different in our lives. So there's that. Mm, oh, my gosh. 
all so, so good, Kara. Thank you so much. I uh, hope you are prepared for the messages that you're probably going to get after this podcast episode. And I'm really grateful to you for being so honest and for sharing your personal experience with us. Uh, we all learn so much from each other, especially especially the siblings who are uh, not as well seen in in this whole dynamic. So thank you, Kara. Big love to you and your family. Thank you, Effie, you as well. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 ha!